to start off with uh, what's going to sound like a really dumb question for church. It's kind of like one of those duh questions. But here it is. Do you believe? I'm going to ask a series of questions today. Actually, Scripture is going to ask a series of questions today. And how we answer these questions will not only change your life, but it can change the whole world. Did you know that if you do a Google search for do you believe, you can get over a million results in less than 0.25 seconds? Yeah, it, it is pretty amazing stuff. Uh, for example, do you believe? Picture of Sasquatch, Bigfoot. It's, it's the hide and seek champion since 1967. Right? I mean, you got me there. <laughs> do you believe? Uh, do you believe in life after love? If you do, share it. <laughs> do you believe in life after love? Okay. All right. Hey, look, I'm going to be here all day. Get used to it. So there's a lot of stuff there, do you believe? But here's what I found fascinating. There was one little section about do you believe in God, and there was a huge section on do you, you know, believe in yourself? Do you believe in the power of positive thought? Be strong. Be, you know, it's all about you. And I don't know about you, but whenever I've relied on myself, it's worked for a time, but it's not worked forever. And there have been times where I've tried to rely on something that was just mine, and it wasn't there for me, and that let me down. And then there's times when I tried to rely on God. At least I thought I was. And He let me down. But as I learned through these questions that we're going to explore today, it wasn't Him that let me down. Because He is there when we need Him. It's my understanding of how He's there that let me down. And if we can break this code about how He's there for us, man, we'll be unstoppable. There will be nothing that can separate us. Nothing that can make us feel. Nothing that can hold us back. Everything that he has in store for us. So that's my question to you today. Do you believe? Now, we're going to talk about the resurrection today, but it's probably not the resurrection that you're thinking, because everybody goes, oh yeah, I've been to Easter. I know what he's going to say. Jesus, empty tomb. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start at a different resurrection. The resurrection of Lazarus. You may be familiar with the story, but let me set the stage for you for just a second. <coughs> Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived together. They were siblings. Apparently, they were pretty well-due. They lived about three kilometers outside the city of Jerusalem. And so for Jesus and his traveling companions who wanted to escape the din of the city and all the hassle, this was kind of like an Airbnb for them. It was a place where they could stop, and, and they would stop and, and spend some time there. They would spend time in discussions. You may be familiar with this Mary as the one who sat at Jesus' feet, which is a way of saying she was a disciple of his. She wanted to learn everything. And you may remember that Martha was the busybody, right? Hey, Jesus, we could do some work. I'm doing all this work. And Lazarus, we don't know much about him, but he lived there. He must have sat at Jesus' feet, too. He must have participated in those late-night discussions out by the fire pit when you talk about the deep things of life. They were very special to Jesus. And so it was that Jesus and his people were far away from Lazarus and his family when they got news. Jesus, come quickly. Lazarus is sick. And I don't mean like Smithel's sick. I mean like he's about to die sick. You need to come now. And so what did Jesus do? He got right in his uh, you know, two-door camel and went right there, right? No. He waited two more does that cause you to pause at all? Why would he wait like that? Doesn't he know his friend Lazarus needs him now? 
Doesn't he know that his friend Lazarus is on death's door? And that he has the power to heal him? I think he didn't know that. And he chose to wait two days anyway. If you're familiar with the story, then you know what happens. Lazarus dies. Jesus arrives a few days later. And he meets both Martha and Mary. You can imagine what kind of meeting that is. But here's the thing that fascinates me about this story is as we read the story of, of this resurrection, I want you to pay attention to two different characteristics because it speaks to how we're wired. Some of you are wired right here. It's all about the head. You want the logic. You want the thought. Some of you are wired with the heart. It's all about the emotion and the feeling. We're going to get both of it in this story today. And that's where we pick up the story as Jesus arrives into this situation attempting to comfort these sisters. I'm reading from Luke 11, starting in verse 17. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them of the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will have to give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? fundamental question, and, and some of you may be struggling with, do I believe this or not? Do I believe Jesus is really who he says he was? Was he just a great teacher? Was he just a great man? Was he even a real historical figure? Listen, if that's you, I would love to talk with you. I'm not going to try to hard sell you. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. But I want the opportunity to at least have a conversation about that. So make me a deal. If this is you today, promise me that you'll reach out and talk to me. I'll even buy you coffee. Now, most of you who are sitting here that I know probably do believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So this might seem like a silly question to you, and it might seem like, oh, it's kind of a waste of time, but Jesus makes the point, look, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't just do good works. I don't just say wise things. I am far, far deeper than that. I mean, it's almost like he's the son of the living God or something. Do you believe because there's power in that belief. So listen to what Martha does when she comes out. She says, look, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, in her head, I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. She had no idea what was coming next. Because what did Jesus do? He went to that tomb. He said, pull away that stone. Even before he gets there, we, we get to Mary. And Mary finally comes out from where she's been talking with some people, and she says, listen to what she says, it sounds remarkably similar to her sister. Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, and she fell at his feet. Here's the drama queen, right? Martha comes and talks, and Mary throws herself at his feet. Listen to what she says. 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She wasn't with Martha when Martha said that. They both said the same thing. And I bet you're wondering the same thing. Why weren't you here? Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's where I want to park for just a second. Because that's the question that I had as I was exploring faith. And sometimes, honestly, I still have. But why didn't you do something? If, if you have that power, why didn't you use it? Why didn't you prevent this bad thing from happening? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Maybe you can relate to that question. Lord, if you had been here, my relationship wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had been here, my job wouldn't have been taken away. I wouldn't have had to struggle with finances. Lord, if you had been here, the cancer wouldn't have come. Lord, if you had been here, my loved one wouldn't have died. Do you have that question? It's a great question. I've had that question. It's a question that will rock your world. It will, it will cause you to question your faith. But look at Jesus' response. Does he panic? Oh no, I made a mistake. Does he tremble? Oh gosh, I need to do something now. No, he weeps. Jesus weeps. Our kids, if you're one of those families that gets credit for memorizing Bible verses. This is a Bible verse you're going to want to memorize. Because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. People speculate, why did Jesus weep? What was the deal there? Was he just sad? Did he realize he had made a mistake? But if you look at the Greek in the, in the, the word for weeping there, there's a, there's a connotation not just of sorrow, which, which he was sad. There's a connotation of maybe anger. Why would Jesus be angry? I don't think he was angry, mad. But a part of me wonders, is he caught up in this moment as he sees his friends suffering? Is the anger a piece of him recognizing that he is the resurrection of life and this is all going to be okay? What are they worried about? Or is he angry because there's a sin called the fall that causes all this pain and suffering and he's no more happy about it than anybody else? But because of the way that we're wired, because of the choices that we've made. It's a fallen world. And we live in fallen bodies. And he knows what it is to not be fallen. I think that's why he's angry. Because uh, if we could just get back to that. There's things that need to be done. But the bottom line is, he wasn't there. As you walk through your faith life, you may come into times like that. You feel like he's not there. You may feel like Jesus, if you'd been here, you fill in your situation. This wouldn't happen. But I don't want to talk about the time that he wasn't there. I want to talk about the time that he was there. So the time that he was there was on a hill called Calvary. The time that he was there was on a cross. And on that cross, he took my place. Not just for a single solitary thing, but one sacrifice for all time forever. The sacrifice that sets me free. The sacrifice that defeats the, the power of sin. That beats even death. And if even death can be beat, then anything else can be beat as well. See, he was there on the cross. 
This fallen world that we live in was not created by God. We did that to ourselves. If you look back into the language in Genesis, right around chapter 3, this is the fall, you know, where the apple gets taken and eaten and all that fun stuff. And, and the way that the enemy gets us to do that is he says, what did God tell you? And the language, we talked about this last week, there's so much freedom in the language that God gives as a direction. He says, you may freely eat of any tree in this garden except this one tree. And so the enemy gets into Eve's mind and says, what did he say exactly? And she says that. And she goes, well, surely you can eat of that, and surely you will not die. And so if you're familiar with that story, they eat the apple. Do they die? No, they live. They produce Cain and Abel and Seth and, and go on. So they didn't die, die. But something inside them died. In that moment, there was the fall. In that moment, everything changes. Our world hearts are bent towards sin. Everything changes. It's in Jesus' death that that changes back. That we're rewired. That we're able to experience the fullness of a relationship with God like we were walking in the garden and talking to Him every day. That closeness that we have missed. That's what Jesus' death does. It, it's to reverse the curse from Eden. If we glance over that too fast, we, we tend to forget all the times that he uh, wasn't there. And, and, and we, well, we forget the time he was there, and we tend to forget the times that he wasn't, quote, there. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about it at all. So let me see if I can capture this. Jesus wasn't there for Lazarus. Jesus was there for me. But then again, Jesus wasn't there. It's just, he's so fickle. He's so hard to figure out. You know where he wasn't there? He wasn't there in the tomb where he was supposed to be three days later. And it's because of that, that is the single fact upon which everything else hinges. If Jesus is just a good guy, does some magic tricks and dies for me, I'm grateful. But I'm not transformed. I'm not looking forward to everything else. But here's the thing about Jesus' promises. If he makes all these outlandish promises, like, I can forgive sin... I can heal. I can bring restoration. That's great. But it's unbelievable. How do I know? But if he says, if you kill me, in three days I will rise again. And he does it? That's the most outlandish claim I've ever heard. Now C.S. Lewis says he's either got to be one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Well, if you come back, it's true. If you have witnesses, it's true. You're not a liar. You're not a lunatic. You must be Lord. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of Jesus in our lives today. Because as I look at it, he was in my place, but he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So here's the second most significant question that we will ever hear. Are we willing to live as though we believe? See, the first layer of question is just do you believe? This one is deeper. This is where discipleship happens. Are we willing to live as though we believe? Because if that same power is available to us, and that same story resonates through us, then that should be the most exciting thing we've got going. We should be wanting to tell everybody this great news about this Jesus who went to the cross for me and came back. And so all the things that he said were true. Things like, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you may be also. I will come back for you. If we live in this power, 
in this I was there at the doom power everything changes because here's the thing the only one who has the last word is Jesus Christ Jesus if you'd been there my relationship wouldn't have ended no I was there I am there I am the resurrection and the life not I was the resurrection not I will be the resurrection I am there is never a time that Jesus is not there is never a time that Jesus is not here right now Lord if you had been there my relationship wouldn't have ended I don't know that I'm lovable who would ever want to love me I am has an answer for that I am says I love you I love you enough to come out of heaven to, to be obedient to death through a cross to establish that relationship God says I sent the son my only son to die for you to come down into that muck in a search and rescue operation that cost him his life. Don't you ever feel unloved? Flip so it to the other side. Okay, well, I've been hurt in that relationship. If Jesus had been there, that wouldn't have happened. So I don't know that I can love again. Well, here's a suggestion. Don't love with your love. Love with his love. See, my love is limited. My love is conditional. Jesus is the unlove. What I mean by that is unlimited and unconditional. That's the love that Jesus has. Love with his love. Let his love flow, flow through you and you will love again far better than you ever have before. <clears throat> you are loved. You can love. Jesus, if you had been there, my job wouldn't have gone away. I wouldn't have had to worry about the finances, my status, my self-image. All that is in the trash. Did you listen to the song? You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave to that. When we talk about our status, we often attach that to what we do. If you have a conversation and you meet someone, hi, my name is Bill, hi, my name is whatever, and in this church, it's either Mike or Jim. So, yeah. <laughs> but you have that conversation, you go, well, what do you do? And immediately, what do you come walking out of your mouth? It's the job that you do, or it's the... Or sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Just a stay-at-home mom or dad? Are you kidding me? You're raising the next generation. Do you have any idea how important that is? So, sorry, get off my soapbox for a second, but we always talk about what we do. Sometimes we talk about what we make, like, man, I'm just not worth that. You know, I'm worthless if I can't produce an income. You know the conversation I would love to see in a coffee room one day? Hey, uh, you know, I make six figures. What do you make? I make disciples. What's worth more than that? I make disciples on behalf of the, the, God, the God who created the universe. You tell me what's worth more than that. What self-esteem, what title do you need, what job, what income do you need to be a child of God and to make disciples for the creator of the universe and first of all? Jesus had been there, the cancer wouldn't have come. My health wouldn't be in shambles. Well, we live in a fallen world with broken bodies, and they are subject to decay. That's, that's the way that we live. But even in the midst of that, Jesus can be there. This word will tell us that even though the outside decays, the inside can be renewed daily. The power of the Spirit. 
this body will eventually pass and, and it will go away and we will get a new body. That's also in here. And it's a promise of the one who said that he made some outlandish claims, who said that he would die and, and raise again in three days. That's the same guy. He says, we will have new bodies. We will have no more tears, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Why would I let anything in this world disconnect me from that? From that one great hope that will take me forward. The one great hope that never disappoints. The one who never lets go. Not even death has any sting anymore. How many other people can say that? How many self-help books will you find and say, yeah, I've got the secret to beating death? By the way, if you see that run. How many other leaders have made a promise so outlandish as to say, I will come back for you, and did it? There have been some great leaders in this world. There have been some great teachers and very wise people, but none of them have ever raised from the grave and come back and made it public. Imagine if we made a place for that in our lives. Imagine that same resurrection power, this is another thing this book says, that same resurrection power is available to us today. Imagine if we lived as though we believed Imagine the effect on us, imagine the effect on our entire world, because that's God's vision. God's vision is never just about, well, let's make this one individual better. Yeah, that's part of it, but that's just the start of it, Lord, sir. And we are poised right here to do something great with this gift that has been given to us. Let it transform you today, right now. And then let it transform your family. Let it transform the people you work with. Let it transform the people you go to school with. Let it transform your neighborhood, your community, your state, your nation, and the entire world. It's almost like I'm saying, go to Judea, Samaria, and beyond. Oh yeah, that's in here too. Don't let that hold you back. What would it look like if we actually lived like we believe this is true? We have an opportunity, Lord, sir, right here, right now, starting today. You might be wondering, okay, great, I'm in. What's next? Well, if you're back at that first question, do you believe, if you have questions about that, I want to recommend this one book. It was transformative in my life. It's called A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist, and he was an atheist. He set out to prove that God did not exist. And in the course of his research, he became a Christian. Jesus became real to him. It's a book. It's also a movie. So if you don't like to read, you can watch the movie. And there's also other ones, a case for Christ for teens, a case for Christ for kids. There's a case for faith. There's a case for Easter. There's a case for Christmas. There's a case for anything. But he's got a whole series, but I recommend that you start with a case for Christ. If you are at that stage of do you believe. If you're slightly beyond that phase, I, I would encourage you to, to take this... <clears throat> Excuse me, I would encourage you then to move into that discipleship mode. Now, for the discipleship mode, I'm going to use a, a fitness example because many of you, have, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever joined a gym? I've paid the fee. Oh, yes, this is perfect. All right, okay. Don't raise your hands on this one because I just saw how many people have paid for gym memberships. By the end of that year, how many times, how many people have gone 12 times or less? <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Appreciate you being the example, being my, my example. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? That New Year's resolution goes by the wayside. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Look at this like you want to get in shape. So 
What does that mean? It means that you join the gym. I know a great one right here. It's called Word Surf. We're not perfect people. We're not world-class athletes. But we love Jesus. That's a start. Get a, a, a coach. Someone that can walk beside you. Maybe develop a personal training plan called discipleship. That can happen in a, in, a, in a bunch of ways. You can talk to me. I'd be happy to walk along beside you that. Uh, you can talk to a community group. Uh, by the way, that's a great way to work out, isn't it? Because if you know someone's waiting on you, you're going to get yourself to that gym. I would venture a guess that many of you who went 12 times or less during that year's membership did not have a group of people that were calling on you and waiting on you. If you did, I bet you'd be in better shape. Not that you're not in good shape. I don't want to say that. <laughs> Son, Jesus Christ, not just the example that he lived while he was here on earth, but the fact that everything he said came true. That means that he does have the power to forgive sin. That means that his sacrifice on the cross clears away from me. It lifts that burden of guilt or shame. I'm no longer a slave to sin because of that death on the cross. That death that was motivated not out of duty, Help us to never take that for granted. Help us also never to take for granted. 
resurrection power that is available to us. Now my prayer is that we would be transformed as your death has rewired us. Allow that power to flow through us. Not so that we can be famous, not so that we can get attention, other than to get attention for you. Help us to be those who make disciples, those who are children of God, those who are loved and those who can love, not with our, not with our limited love, but with your unconditional, life-changing, world-transforming love. God, let it begin here. And let stories of the future tell of a time when there was a revival, an awakening of a spirit that started in a small town called Fulcher, Texas. Sorry.